BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good morning, and welcome here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and so glad that you're with us. Well, yesterday was Mardi Gras, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the show. But today is Ash Wednesday, when everyone is recovering from Mardi Gras and talking about what they're going to give up. So each year, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent and is always 46 days before Easter. It's celebrated by Catholics, uh, Orthodox, lots of Protestants as well. Uh, not all Christians, but many Christians. And many people say for the period of Lent, these 46 days, that they are going to give up something during this period and talk about basically it's, it's a form of uh, you know spiritual discipline, spiritual fasting. And what are you going to give up? I want to know. I put that out on Twitter. Let me know at Carrie Sheffield. And joining me here for the hour, my guest host, we have first term congressman, a freshman representing Alabama, Mr. Jerry Carl. Good morning, Congressman. Good morning, Carrie. It's great to be here with you. Good to have you. So what are you giving up? I'm giving up Facebook. I've given up my social media. Of course, my staff will keep keep my, my stuff running, but my personal stuff, I'm, I'm giving up for Lent, my Facebook. Excellent. You know, I think a lot of conservatives would agree with that. Just period. Why not give it up permanently? Uh, I, I, well, I tried it for a week and I liked it, so I'm going to give it up for the 46 <laughs> days. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and see what happens after that. Yeah. Are you moving to other places like Parlor? Uh, not yet, not yet. Well, I've, 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 you know, being After a, Lent. I was going to say, but, you know, being a, being a freshman, I'm really focused on trying to learn this job and, and get that learning curve kind of straightened out a little bit. So, um, you know, I can better represent my people by doing it that way versus staying on, on social media and doing what people do on social media. You mean actually talking to real people and real voters instead yes. of random people who aren't in your district? Yes, I'm old school. I like to talk to folks. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Well, let's talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill. So a lot of members of your party and the Republican Party are pressing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we just put out a story about this at Just the News, and they're asking what exactly did Pelosi know about the January 6th Capitol breach? So several congressmen have sent a letter on Monday pressing Pelosi for answers about this. And in the letter, Congressmen Jim Jordan of Ohio, Roddy Davis of Illinois, James Comer of Kentucky, and Devin Nunes of California are saying that many important questions about your responsibility for the security of the Capitol remain unanswered more than a month since the episode transpired. What do you make of this letter? Do you agree with it? I agree with it. On the 7th, I started asking questions of uh, my staff, and, and they've been really holding me back. Uh, you know, we, none of us want to be guilty of starting a conspiracy theory. And, and uh, it, it, in my mind, it, it, if you're responsible for the security, I think you should be answerable for what happened. And, and what happened that day was obviously a breach of security, the planning of it, and I want answers. I've wanted answers since the day after uh, things settled down on the 7th. So I've been asking these same questions for a while. It's nothing new. Well, yeah, and, and absolutely no, by no means 
condoning or excusing what happened no. with these riots, but when you're talking about the security and you had warnings and you had reports that something really terrible might happen and you choose to turn away the security, are you in some respects responsible for allowing this to happen? Uh, again, I mean, from a leadership standpoint, the buck stops here, the old saying. So, so if, you, if you are ultimately responsible for that security, you should be answerable for what happened that day. That doesn't mean that, that that's necessarily bad or negative, but in, in this case, it's very negative. No one's going to agree with what happened on that day. I, what happened was horrible. I was there. I was in the middle of it. I was on the floor. I saw how, how, it, how it played out. But, but the lack of security is, is what really confuses me. Now, their response is to put up a fence with razor wire and bring in 28,000 National Guardsmen, which really confuses me. I don't consider myself that important. Uh, we, we don't have fences on the border. They want to take those down. They want to leave those open, but yet they want fences to protect themselves. And, and I just find that to be just a, a very blatant, just silly, just silly. Well, you actually have bipartisan agreement with the D.C. delegate, so we've got a piece about this that's just the news. Good. So the delegate from D.C., Eleanor Holmes Norton, she's wanting to stop, she's vowing to stop the permanent fencing around the U.S. Capitol. She says the, quote, permanent fencing would send an un-American message to the nation and the world by transforming our democracy from one that is accessible and of the people to the one that is exclusive and fearful of its own citizens. So... The delegate here, Delegate Norton, she's very, very liberal. So to hear her say this is very interesting. So do you think there's going to be a bipartisan outcry to stop this fencing? I hope so. I know the locals are very frustrated. Several of us live very close to the Capitol, and the neighborhoods are very upset about it. But it reminds me back, you know, pictures from Berlin back in the 70s. Uh, you know, with with the fencing and, and the National Guardsmen, and the in the cities, uh, I'm sorry, the states uh, sending those these National Guardsmen in. They, these National Guardsmen, they have real lives. This is the National Guard is obviously a part-time position. It's not a full-time military, so they have families and they have things that they need to be doing back in, in uh, where they where they're from. Many of them are from Guam and Hawaii and places that are far off. So. Uh, you know, we need to get back to some type of normalcy. Uh, we all were under attack that day. Uh, I, I think this is just a huge play on the Democrat Party, Nancy Pelosi as a whole. They want to be victims. They want to be victims in everything. And that's just not a way to go through life. It, to be in, being a victim, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's just, it doesn't register well with me. And that's where we're at. We need to take the wall down. I think you're going to see some pushback from, from some of the local delegation. I hope we do. So you just entered Congress. You're newly minted. What's that been like for you? Because it's been such chaos. Well, you know, everyone asks me that, and I'm a freshman, so I really don't know what to expect. I've got so many people that I'm blessed with that are around me that can help me know what to do from moment to moment and get me places I need to go until I, I get my feet up under me. But but it's been it's been very confusing. At at at, at moments, it's it's uh, 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 it's exciting. I mean, just the idea of, of being one of 12,000 people in American history to actually serve in in this this capacity is just humbling. Uh, and I, I'm excited to move on. I'm excited to see what we can we can get done for for the folks in my, my district and uh, get past all this foolishness that's been going on. And it's, it's it's constant drama. It's just constant drama. It's like a soap opera. It never ends. It just just carries on to the next event. Well, <laughs> you're in the wrong field if you don't like drama, Congressman. Yeah. <laughs> I, that much I've figured out.
<laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're going to come back more with the Congressman Jerry Carl. We're going to get to know him a little bit, and we're also going to pull in some viewer feedback. I love to hear from you, our viewers. Make sure to follow me at Carrie Sheffield and put your responses. I only read the best ones, so if you're smart, we're going to include it. If not, try harder the next day, all right? Okay, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey there, good morning. Welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Well, our viewer feedback, I love getting it at Carrie Sheffield. Send me what you think. My question yesterday to you all was this. Trump is acquitted by the Senate again. What should he do next? And we had a Trump surrogate, Bruce Lavelle, who joined us. But what did you have to say? So Constantine, who's Bridgeline 3, says, get ready to become president again. That's what he should do next. And finish draining the swamp, along with Section 230. Also, Rob Bertoner, Bertoneri, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, Rob says, start his 2024 campaign focused on protecting freedom of speech and the Second Amendment and holding anyone that prohibits either criminally responsible. Dr. Kostide says, move to Utah and start a campaign to recall Romney and take his place for three years. Don't run again in 2024, just stay in the Senate and make Mitch McConnell's life a living hell. 24-7 press conferences and news appearances. Some interesting advice there, and being that I'm from the great state of Utah, I would find that to be very, very fascinating. What do you think? I, I think the president should take a couple of months off. I, I think he should spend it with his family and, and, and kind of recharge his batteries because he has literally been through hell the last four years uh, plus. So I, I, I think he, he deserves a little time off and figure out what he wants to do. He will be a driving force in the Republican Party in 2024, regardless what he does. 2022, regardless what he does. I mean, he's still, he is still very popular in my district, very popular. And uh, we're, we're just, uh, we're, we're saddened that he's not still in office. Well, it seems like he's taken some time off, getting to golf a little bit, spending some time in the sunshine. Thankfully for him, he's not here in D.C., which is freezing cold and frigid, so he's pretty lucky there. Uh, let's hear about Joe Biden here, because there's something that I think is a double standard, but I want to get your take. Let's take a listen. This was a town hall with President Biden with CNN. You're not likely to be able to be exposed to something and spread it to mommy or daddy. And it's not likely mommy and daddy are able to spread it to you either. So I wouldn't worry about it, baby. I promise you. All right. First of all, let's just point out that he called this young girl baby. And if that was Trump calling him her baby, all hell would break loose. There would be such a double standard in how the media treats the way that Joe Biden interacts with women and young girls compared to Former President Trump never said anything like that to a young girl. But, of course, there's, I'm hearing crickets. I'm hearing nothing about that. But the other issue is the issue of children and coronavirus. You heard President Biden say that children are not at risk for the coronavirus. Well, guess what? President Trump, when he was president, said the exact same thing, but the media hammered him. 
In fact, the Associated Press, which is all over the globe, has many, many subscribers by news organizations, did a quote-unquote fact-check and said that Trump falsely declares kids are safe from the coronavirus. It says that President Trump is falsely suggesting that children are safe from the coronavirus as he pushes to reopen the country now and schools in the summer or fall. Although Trump is broadly correct that the disease is most deadly to the elderly and to the people with existing health problems, his statement that children aren't affected is heedless. So you're seeing the AP here uh, not going after Joe Biden. I'm going to keep an eye out to see if they do a fact check on him. Do you think this is going to happen? Are we going to see a media outcry about what President Biden just said about children? No, you will not. It, it, it just won't happen. It, it's totally different standards that he's judged by. I, I think something he said last night I find quite humorous. I wish somebody would follow up on it. And I forget the exact term, but he was talking about that there wasn't even a delivery method uh, to deliver the drugs. I think that's called a syringe. Uh, and, and, but the term that he used meant that there was no way of actually administering the, the drug itself. And I, I just found that bizarre. I mean, my, my background's healthcare, and, and syringes are pretty common. They've been around for a while, but uh, it, he has a lot of But gas. again, do you think the media is going to give him no, any sort of, of accountability? Of course they won't. No, that, it, you, you've got a very liberal me media out there that's going to cover for him as much as they can. At some point, place, and time, they'll turn on him, you know, like piranhas. They'll, they'll feed on him at some point, place, and time. I, I'll assure you that. Because what sort of issues do you think they'll turn on him? I, I don't know. It, it's way too early for that. I mean, right now, he's the, the gentle grandfather image, and, and everyone's trying to be polite and nice. And, and uh, but, but that will shift. That will change. I, I think that there's a lot of things, a lot of questions that I've asked, you know, about, about Hunter Biden, and we don't need to get into that in this segment. But, you know, I think some of that stuff's going to come back to haunt him, and I think the media is going to be forced to start talking about some, some, some hard questions dealing with him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's right now we're seeing stories about his bedtime routine, a hard-hitting story about that, and other issues about Valentine's Day. How much does he love Jill Biden? Just a little bit or a lot, yeah. his, his own wife. Uh, but they never did anything like that for Melania Trump, as we know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that he loves his wife. I mean, let, let's, 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 be, let's be honest with that. Obviously, we want strong marriages. Uh, but I did yes. find the Valentine's thing that they did a little creepy. Well, if, if that was Melania, then oh, all no, hell they would have never broken do that. loose, of course. Never, never do, do yeah. that, no. They would have said it was tacky and gaudy and Oh, there's nothing tasteless. tacky about that lady. She's beautiful. Just beautiful. Just a classy person, period, all the way around. So let's talk about you. So you did a video as a freshman. I want our viewers to take a look at this. My name is Jerry Carl, uh, District 1, Alabama. Uh, something unique about our district is uh, we're actually the, the birthplace of Mardi Gras. What was your first concert? Elvis. Elvis concert, yeah. If you wrote a book, who would the dedication go to? My mother. My mother wrote a book, and I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd write, like to write one dedicated back to her. Entrepreneur, what is Congress missing right now that you hope to fill? I think Congress is missing a lot of common sense, uh, and I don't think that's something that you can teach, something that you have to be born with. I think there's so much of common sense that needs to be applied, uh, and that, that, that certainly works well in the business world, too. Is it something else that you're definitely going to bring to D.C. when you're here? I hope I bring a little bit of laughter. I've got, I've got a very warped sense of humor, so uh, I, I like pulling pranks, and uh, I'm okay with them pulling pranks on me, so maybe a little bit of humor. All right. What pranks are we talking about? 
Oh, I've, I've got a history of pranks. One of my best friends, I had him arrested and delivered to his 50th birthday party in handcuffs in the back of a police car. <laughs> Uh, and and, and we, we, we got his mother to tell stories of him when he was a child, and they were not very good. So and th this, this is a man that has spent his life in ministry. So, oh, uh, yeah, the pastor, was, you're going to burn in hell. Oh, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. He's my buddy. He, he's my lifetime friend. Uh, no rules Locking apply. up a pastor. I, Who I, does that? I do. <laughs> I thought he thought it was great. He loves it. Oh, well, that's I'm just good. waiting for the payback. That's the part I'm worried about. Uh, yeah, when's your birthday? I'm not saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll keep an eye out on that. But speaking of birthdays, on a much more serious note, um, talking about pro-life issues mm -hmm. and allowing children to have their birthdays, uh, you have brought forth a bill, and you tweeted out about it. You said, I'm proud to be an original co-sponsor of Congressman Chris Smith's H.R. 1080, the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. This legislation would amend the U.S. Code to prohibit any person from performing an abortion on an unborn child who is 20 weeks or older. Why this now? The Democratic well, Congress is, is, you know, both House and Senate. Why now? We, we, we've got to start somewhere, I mean, and if the child can feel pain at 20 weeks, I think it's a good place to open up and start. We, we've got to start the conversation. We've got to get we've got to get things moving, and we've got to we've got to eat this elephant one bite at a time. I mean, it, we, we I think the the, the uh, anti-abortion movement has has tried to sh shut the complete thing down, where we can start taking baby steps and get some All things right. done. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back more with this congressman here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and so glad that you're with us. Well, joining us here on the show, friend of the show, is Carol Swain. She is founder of Be the People News, and she has some breaking news that just happened to her. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. How are you? Doing well, and the congressman still joins us as well, Jerry Lewis from Alabama. I'm, I'm sorry, Jerry Lewis, I, you're going to have to start telling some jokes here you now. To. You're going to have to start telling some jokes now. Okay, um, I can do that. Jerry Carl. Um, so, Carol Swain, you just had some news last night in Nashville, where you are. Uh, the city council just had a vote. Tell us what this vote was. Well, I was nominated by the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, to be one of their four candidates for the Community Oversight Board, which is really the Police Oversight Board. And it was put in place in Nashville in 2018. It's really been an anti-police uh, oversight board. Crime is soaring in Nashville, but this board, uh, you know, is all about police. And last week was the first stage of the maybe 10 or 11 candidates that were nominated, I was the only one that was deemed unqualified, even though I have um, a PhD, a law degree, a criminal justice degree. I've served on the Tennessee Advisory Committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission twice. And during the time I was on the faculty at Princeton University, I had teenage sons. 
I uh, was responsible for uh, being the catalyst behind ending racial profiling of young men that lived in the community that was just walking across campus. The police uh, department on campus as well as in the community were retrained. And so I had experience, you know, being black all of my life. I'm 66 years old, um, seven brothers. I was not qualified. I was the only candidate. Um, it was a five to three vote. So I advanced to the next stage, which was last night. I got two votes. None of the FOP candidates were placed on the board. They uh, filled the board with social justice warriors. So, Carol, let's talk about crime, at least in Nashville, because nationwide in many of our big cities, very liberal cities, we're seeing a spike in crime. And some people I've spoken to have said this is because of defund the police, that when you go after the police, it should be no shock. You don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to be a genius to know that you're going to see a spike in crime. Have you seen a spike in crime in Nashville because of this you know, push to be anti-police? I would say that it's uh, Nashville is a city run by Democrats. They've never had a Republican in a position of authority uh, as mayor. And so I think that the Democrats push that restorative justice. Police uh, are uncomfortable. I think that some of them may have pulled back, but we have a huge shortage of police officers. You know, we may be down a few hundred. And under the circumstances that police officers uh, are expected to do their jobs, um, I think it's very hard to be a police officer in cities run by Democrats, and that's part of the problem. Congressman Jerry Carl, what have you seen in Alabama in your district? Are you seeing a spike in crime, or what's the mood there with the police? Well, I think crime's up pretty much everywhere simply because we have, we have such a lockdown and people are uncomfortable with, with the situation we're in now. But, but Dr. Carroll, we, you know, across, I, I met with our mayor and our sheriff Monday morning. I, I had my meetings with them in Mobile. Uh, and, and where our numbers are down, it's hard to recruit police officers. And it's because these groups, they target these police officers and, and these deputy sheriffs and, and leadership that, that wants to uh, increase those numbers and make the streets safer. They don't, you know, I don't understand their movement, but their movement's pretty simple. Uh, they, don't want any, they don't want any control in the streets. They want the streets just to run wild, and we've seen that, especially up in, in, in Minnesota and some of these other areas. In the South, we, we, we have a history of, of respecting police officers. We were all raised that way to protect. Uh, that, that's who's protecting our homes. So for you not to get on that board, I just find just bizarre, especially considering the FOP of all people. I mean, those are the people that are serving front line or have served front line. Uh, to have someone on that board to be their voice, it's huge. And, and shame, shame on Nashville. Just shame on Nashville. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry well, for you because you're more than qualified. That's obvious. The, the thing that really gets me is, quote, they call themselves the Community Oversight Board. They're being paid by the whole city, and so they seem to see themselves as a group that's just, just supposed to focus on a narrow part of the minority community but as the community oversight board, I think part of that job should be to be out there in the community talking with young people who are committing a lot of those crimes and trying to uh, steer them away from the behaviors that lead to unfortunate encounters with the police. And these are very rare. Uh, we have had two cases in Nashville, and in one case, 
the young man that was running from the police had a gun in his hand that he didn't drop. And um, I think that they are misguided all the way around. It's a waste of money. Uh, they should never have been approved. And I want to put a tweet up here from a member, a staff leader for a council member in the Nashville City Council there. Her name is Michaela McCree. She said this on Twitter. She said, it's simple. If you're not an ally, then you are the enemy. And she's the staff assistant at the office of Representative Jim Cooper for the right. U.S. Congress there, um, very plugged into what's happening with Nashville politics. Is that kind of the sense that you got from why they voted you down? Do they consider you to be an enemy? And, and why would they do that? You're, you're part of the community. Well, I'm, I am a black conservative, very outspoken. I believe in due process, presumption of innocence, the rule of law. That makes me an enemy. And Mrs. Uh, Ms. McCree, you know, who's a young woman, uh, she's been involved with Black Lives Matter and all of the activism. And if that's the criteria for being qualified to serve on the board, then she's more than qualified. She's very young. And it's all about political correctness. It's not about reality. And Nashville is going down the tubes. Um, it's a place that, you know, Republicans have tried to make changes, conservatives, even Democrats. Uh, when I ran for mayor a couple of years ago, I had support across the community. The first time in the special election, I came in number two. Uh, this, uh, the second time I ran, I came in number three. But the man who is the current mayor is the brother of Congressman Jim Cooper. His father was a former governor, and he put $2 million of his own money into his campaign. And so how can you compete with that? He didn't have to raise money. Uh, all he had to do was dump money in. And unfortunately, too many Republicans supported him because, quote, he was a businessman. He uh, courted sounds them. Like, uh, sounds like a lot of uh, swamp-type behavior. But I want to ask you real quick in just the few minutes, few seconds that we have left about this reparations bill. So a Democratic congresswoman, she has introduced this, Sheila Jackson Lee. She wants reparations. She says this is something that's needed, and it's going to test Joe Biden and Harris on this issue of racial justice. What's your read on this reparations bill? Well, I mean, they've been trying since 1987. Uh, John Conyers put forth a bill just about every year. Uh, given the racial climate in our country, it may advance, but we know that it will not address the problems of our nation or black people. It's a waste of time, waste of resources, will not do anything good. All right, Dr. Carol Swain, thank you so much. Thank you. And Congressman Jerry Carl stays with us here on set. We've got Paris Denard. He's a senior outreach director for Black Media Affairs for the Republican Party. Stay tuned. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Joining me here is Paris Denard. He is Senior Communications Advisor for Black Media Affairs at the Republican Party. We've also got the Congressman with me here for the hour. Hey there, Paris. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. Good morning, sir. So, Paris, talk us through, you guys are going to do a Trailblazer Awards dinner. This is for an, an all remote, it's all COVID compliant, we have to say. Um, but the, uh, you're given Black Trailblazer Awards. Who are the awardees? Well, thank you for mentioning this. Uh, we are excited to once again be honoring uh, Black American Trailblazers in the Republican Party who have really paved the way and been tremendous leaders uh, under the leadership of Ronald McDaniel, this has continued on at the RNC. And as you mentioned, this year, because of COVID-19, we are taking it virtual. So it'll be at a virtual awards uh, uh, ceremony. But we are going to be honoring two outstanding individuals, uh, Dr. Jerome Adams, as well as uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who served as our uh, Secretary of HUD. And as we know, uh, Jerome Adams served as our uh, former uh, Surgeon General. And we are honoring them in particular this year because of their role uh, on uh, the Coronavirus Task Force uh, as two Black Americans understanding the needs of the Black community, especially as we were disproportionately impacted by COVID. They led the way on this task force to help get America to where we are today, which is in great measure because of Operation Warp Speed, where now we have a vaccine, millions of people are being vaccinated, and it's all because of the work that they did in this global pandemic. And so we are proud of their leadership uh, as Black Americans in the, uh, serving in Republican administrations, as well as their accomplishments on this COVID task force. And so we're honored to be uh, singling them out uh, for, this, for this award of being trailblazers. Paris, I couldn't think of two better candidates. I, I, uh, uh, both of those have been personal heroes of mine and what they've accomplished in the Republican Party. And I highly encourage my Republican friends to reach out to, to the black community as a whole. Uh, if, if you look at the, the numbers from my district and my election, Trump did very well. And he's actually picked up uh, quite a bit of the, the black community, when I say quite a bit, two or three percent. In, in the community, yeah. and, and I, could, I think I credited, I take a little bit of credit for that because I reached out to these primarily churches. We spoke to about 12 or 10 or 12 churches, myself and, and Senator, Senator Tuberville, and, and, and all, they wanted, all they want is to be heard. And so far, all they've heard from is the Democrat Party. So uh, I, I'm excited with these two candidates and what you're doing. You should be very proud well, of that. Thank you. And you know, Congressman, you're absolutely right. That's why at the Republican National Committee, we are continuing on with the engagement efforts because a lot of times, uh, you know, the black community only hears from both political parties during the camp presidential campaign season. But what we're trying to do is, and what we will do and we are doing, is continuing on. After the campaign is over, we still want to be present. We still want to show up because, we, like you said, we want to be heard. And so I commend you for your leadership down Alabama. I know there's a lot of HBCUs there. Uh, there's uh, the church, religious, the faith community is important mm -hmm. down in Alabama as well. So it's going to take 
the Republican Party making it a priority, which Ronna McDaniel has done as our chairwoman, but it's also going to take our Republican leaders on the at the federal level, a congressman like yourself, and like you mentioned, the senator, but also down as our state parties, making it a priority, honoring those people uh, in the black community during Black History Month, but also engaging year-round. And so it's from the national level all the way down to what you're doing in your home state. Uh, is going to in your district is going to make a tremendous difference. I think it's going to help us take back the House and the Senate in 2022 because we are going to continue the engagement efforts and we have the commitment from leaders like yourself. Well, and it's just engaging with voters. It's not about a specific race or not. I mean, you should be talking to every voter. And if if the Republicans aren't doing well about reaching out to black voters, they're, they're not reaching every voter, which they should be doing just naturally. But I want to ask you about this question of a media double standard, Paris, because we were talking earlier about the town hall that Biden had yesterday in Wisconsin. And he said that children are basically immune and they won't be affected by their parents and they won't infect their parents with the coronavirus. And then we, fl we, we looked at the tape and we said, hey, the Associated Press did a quote unquote fact check against President Trump at the time and said, he shouldn't be spreading this information that he's lying and that children, uh, you know, it, they did a fact check and said uh, that Trump was falsely suggesting that children are safe from the coronavirus. Is this a media double standard? Do you think the media will do the same thing to Biden? Oh my gosh, Carrie, it's not only a media double standard, it's it's a, a, a Biden administration double standard. I mean, the Biden, the hypocrisy of the Biden administration, their CDC director says the same thing uh, and they say, trust the data, trust the science. And then the Jen Psaki, the, the, the press secretary, comes out and says, oh, no, that's not quite what, what, what she meant. Let me circle back on that. She was talking from her personal capacity. The Biden administration doesn't even know what their policy is when it comes to opening up the children. The president just said one thing. Jen Psaki says another thing. The CDC director and the facts of the science say another thing. They don't know what the policy is. But what we do know is that President Trump said, rightfully so, back then that this is something that should not prevent schools from being opening. And now here we are almost a year later and schools are not opening because they refuse to follow the data and the science that we know even more. There's been even more studies since the president, former President Trump said there's been more studies, more science, more data to prove and back up the president's claim. So yes, the media is having a double standard when it comes to opening up the schools, vaccines, and children. But in addition to that, the Biden administration is, is having a lot of hypocrisy on it because they are so uh, hell-bent on focusing on the teachers' unions that are doing right by children of America. All right, Paris Denard, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Good to see you both. Good to see you. Stay with us. We've got more with Congressman Jerry Carl. Stay tuned. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad that you're with us. Joined again by Congressman Jerry Carl, also joined by Brian Rotella. He's the founding and managing partner of Genco Legal and a healthcare expert. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. 
So let's talk about Obamacare and the enrollment window that Biden has opened back up again. So reporting about this, the new Obamacare enrollment window is opening as Congress is battling for more COVID aid. The enrollment period during the coronavirus pandemic is an early test of President Joe Biden's strategy to use the Affordable Care Act as a springboard toward health coverage for all, according to the Associated Press. And advancing on a parallel track, the new COVID-19 relief bill from House Democrats would offer a generous, though temporary increase in subsidies for people covered by the law known as Obamacare. The word temporary, I'm reminded of what Ronald Reagan said about the closest thing to eternal life is a government program. Do you think these would actually be temporary? If they're in this bill, would they ever be rolled back? I think you can answer that question for me, Carrie. Yeah, no, it's not temporary. But I'm going to quote someone else, Mark Twain. And it was in uh, the movie, you know me, pop culture, I love movies, The Big Short. It's not what you don't know uh, that gets you in trouble. It's what you think for sure is going to happen, and it just ain't so that gets you in trouble. And now, guess what we're doing here, or the Biden administration's doing with this open enrollment for 90 days, February 15th until May 15th? They are quadrupling down on what didn't work during the, the last uh, term of the Obama administration. What's happening now is during the pandemic, how many people who are not well, who have not been going to the doctor, you know, I'm a healthcare attorney, I can tell you from my clients, there is a real epidemic in this country of people not getting preventive care for important stuff, cancers, uh, screenings, and all these other types of things. Obamacare took away pre-existing condition rating. There's no way to look at these people's healthcare history. So the analogy I made back to the big short a little bit ago, you are basically saying, all right, folks, come on in, get on health insurance, heavily subsidized. We have no idea how healthy you are or not. These also may be people that have COVID that have some of the long hauler conditions that we're seeing. Eventually those premiums are going to explode. That's exactly what happened in what, 2015, 16? and the markets, the insurance carriers started pulling out of the markets. Remember in some places, counties, we'd have one insurance carrier. It's gonna happen again, but what you said in the Associated Press that I completely agree with, but I'm not gonna say springboard, it's a Trojan horse for Joe Biden's public option and to say, hey, here's the great thing, too big to fail, Let's bail out the whole thing with universal health care. Brian, I feel, like you're a, I feel like you're a voice in the wilderness. You're the oracle, the prophet. No one's listening to you, Brian. The congressman's got a question for you. Brian, I've got a background in health care, and I, I, I think you answered my question when, when you called it a Trojan horse, but I think Obamacare was the Trojan horse also. Uh, you know, it, it got us into, it got the federal government into uh, 100% uh, health care. This is going to take us into a new step, and the new step is going to be coverage for everyone at any price. And the insurance companies have to make profits. They have to, they have to show profits to stay in business. Uh, but when you, start, when you start increasing that base and you get sicker folks in, you got to expect premiums to go up. And this term affordable, I'm, I'm just curious who came up with the term affordable health care because it has just exploded. And with this and expanding that, that window of opportunity for people to get in it, it's going to make it much, much worse, much, much worse, especially considering the conditions we're in right now with the COVID. Congressman, thank you. And, and with your history, you know this well, I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, but what people don't understand about insurance, and again, I know I'm a lawyer, I deal with insurance all the time. Insurance is supposed to predict what's gonna happen in the future. It's not supposed to cover what we know has already happened. 
if would you give insurance or buy an insurance policy if you knew you had smoke coming out of the back of your house for fire mm -hmm. insurance? No, no. So this pre-existing condition argument that's been going on since 2010 sounds really good to the American people. No, I don't want to be rated. Folks, I, I care, you know this, I'm public, I have Crohn's disease, I take medications. No one wants to be rated for pre-existing conditions. But getting coverage that's like, going back to the mortgage analogy, that you're really getting a subprime loan that's got a balloon payment on it at some point, that doesn't help folks with pre-existing conditions. What Congressman, what you're getting at, which the prior administration was doing a really good job, I thought, was getting to the core of the issue, costs. Like with favored nations where you could get drugs cheaper in other mm -hmm. nations and get those drugs set at the price of, let's say, what they're set in Canada or set over in Europe. Uh, looking at things like buying insurance across state lines, short-term policies, these were all targeted to drive costs down. Guess who hated that? Big pharma, big health systems. And ultimately, guess what they really like? They like universal coverage. That's a whole bunch of consumers. All right, Brian, just while we got you real fast, I want to get your take. You're down there in Florida. You got a pulse on what's happening, especially in Trump world. There's a poll by Politico and Morning Consul, and they were looking at GOP voters to see how do they view McConnell compared to Trump. And Trump overwhelmingly is way more favorable among the GOP voters compared to McConnell. It's 34 percent favorable for McConnell, but 53 percent unfavorable compared to Trump, 81 percent favorable and only 18 percent unfavorable among Republicans. Where do you weigh in on this? I'd love to see the poll carry with Governor DeSantis and uh, Senator McConnell living here in Florida. We are a big fan of our governor and I'm sitting in my office today. We are working at Genco and, and we're doing it safely and the governor's done a great job. So I would love to see that poll because I think the governor has got a really bright future. I'm gonna go flip back to healthcare again on Senator McConnell and say one thing, 2017, I know John, the, the late John McCain took a lot of a lot of heat for what happened with that health care bill that didn't go through. But who was the Senate majority leader? It was Mitch McConnell. It yep. didn't happen. Yep. The president couldn't run out it in 2020. All right. Hey, we're going to keep an eye on maybe 2024. We'll see DeSantis running. All right. We'll be right back with more with the congressman. Stay tuned. Hey there, good morning. Welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Well, you may have heard Congressman Carl here earlier in the show say that Mardi Gras originated in Alabama. I learned that fact. I didn't realize it. It started in Mobile, Alabama, and he just told us this, and he put something up on Twitter about this. He says, I'm proud to represent the original home of Mardi Gras. Even though celebrating looks a little different this year, Mobile will continue to let the good times roll. Happy Mardi Gras. Tell us, how did this start out in Mobile, Alabama? Because everyone thinks it's New Orleans. Everybody thinks New Orleans. But uh, in Mobile, what happened, there was a group of guys in a bar that got arrested. And when they got out, they were obviously still intoxicated. And they wanted to, to share their, their aggravation of uh, being arrested for having a good time. So they striped their clothes. They took pots and pans and forks and anything that made noise and walked down the street making noise, and they were called revelers. And to this day, when you hear about people in parade, they're referred to as revelers, and that's where Mardi Gras actually started. And I was telling that story the other day, and somebody said, that's bizarre. And I said, well, how do you think they came up with Groundhog Day? 
some person looked at a groundhog <laughs> in a shadow, and now we've got a day for it. So, uh, there's some pretty neat stories in behind how, yeah, how some of these Yeah, maybe they were smoking something if, if these guys were drinking something. But we know what right. the Bible says about being drunk, and yeah, it is definitely not totally for agree. it. So, that's why you got the next day. You've got Ash Wednesday where you can give up, you can sober up, turn around. Uh, but Mobile, Alabama was the original capital of Louisiana. I learned that fact also. It so, was. I mean, um, Mobile has been a port city is the yep. reason for that. Very we're, interesting. All right, Congressman, thanks so much for joining thank us. Thank you. I've enjoyed it and so much. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.